Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this morning. It is a pleasure and an honor again to be、uh, sharing God's word with you. It is really a privilege, and I'm excited to do so today、uh, via uh, online. And uh, uh, I certainly miss seeing everyone and uh, and uh, just being with one another. And I hope that we can、uh, once again reunite soon and、uh, um, and worship the Lord together、um, soon. Today、uh, we are going to be studying the book of Philemon.、Uh, this is not a regularly mentioned book in in the New Testament, but nevertheless, I think we should pay close attention to this amazing little book of the Bible. So let's go ahead and, and turn up our Bibles. There,、uh, the book of Philemon is basically tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. And as I have mentioned, we'll go through the whole book, which is only one chapter long. So. Don't don't be as、uh, scared if I if I'm saying that we're going to、uh, study a whole book of the Bible here, but we will. It is only one chapter long, and、uh, it is not a very com- common book that you would see quoted, or a lot of people you wouldn't see a lot of scriptures that people are quoting around with the book of Philemon. But nevertheless, it is a very deep and important story that God has placed for us in His Word for us to learn from and to grow. And to and to see what God has for us, and so let me read、uh, Philemon for you. It is、uh, going to be from the version NASB, and this is God's word. Philemon, verse one. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church in our house, in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you, for Christ's sake. For I have come to have joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Verse eight. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now it is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my own heart. Verse thirteen. Whom I wish to I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect. From compulsion, by compulsion, but by your own free will. Fifteen. Perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than that, than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse seventeen. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. 
But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in you and your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I said or what I say. At the same time, also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aris Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, sinners in need of grace, asking you to illuminate our hearts to your, through your word, asking you to have us see the beautiful realities and truths of your word and how they can shape us for godliness. Lord, help us see how this book of Philemon can shape us and transform us and, 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 and renew our hearts and refresh our hearts in Christ Jesus. We submit to you this morning, Lord God, and that anything that will be mentioned this morning will be only that which is of the Spirit of the Lord and nothing of the flesh, that, that, would be, that anything that will be retained will be only from your Spirit and your Word. And we make this prayer in your, in your name. Christ Jesus. Amen. So once again, the epistle of Philemon, to Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul. And it is evident by the text itself that it is probably one of the few books of the Bible in which there's almost no disagreement among scholars on his authorship. Paul most likely wrote this letter during his third imprisonment in Rome between 61 and 62 A.D., he makes reference to this from both verse 1, when he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and also from verse 23, where Paul sends greetings from Epaphras, who was a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. He also wrote to the uh, Colossians and to the Ephesians during this time. So now, as far as the intended audience for this letter, as, as you have read the chapter with me earlier, at a glance, it would seem as if it's, it's, it's a personal matter between Paul and Philemon. But from verses 1 and 2, it is evident that Paul intends for Philemon's relatives and for his house church to also hear this letter. So it is meant not only between two of them, but also for those in his church. Now, having this brief background in mind, let's dive into the situation presented in the letter by studying the other two characters that we see in the letter. First, we have Philemon, who is the recipient of the letter. And what do we know about him? In verse 1, Paul refers to Philemon as his beloved brother and fellow worker. He also makes reference to the church that met in his house at Colossae. So it is plain to note that Philemon was a well-off, wealthy Christian leader who opened his house for Christians to meet regularly. 
It is also deduced that Philemon heard the gospel and was saved during Paul's ministry at Ephesus, and he later then would go back to Colossae to do ministry. So all of this is assumed by the different evidences of the book of Philemon and other mentions in the, in the epistles of Paul. Secondly, we have Onesimus. Onesimus was one of Philemon's bond servants. He fled to Rome, likely after having a dispute with Philemon. Onesimus seems to have also stolen money or property from his master. We don't know exactly what the altercation was. Imagine the scene, right? Onesimus steals or does something wrong and leaves to a busy, prominent city like Rome, probably hoping to blend in and to escape detection. But in God's providence, he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul, who then, as as an evangelist as he is, takes Onesimus and shares the gospel with him, and he becomes a Christian. And then Paul takes him in and disciples him while in prison. So we already see how fascinating the narrative is. Now, from the biblical evidence, we continue to see and observe that Onesimus started to become an important servant and laborer of the gospel and a valuable ministry asset for Paul. Colossians 4 states that Titicus and Onesimus were sent to deliver the letter of the Colossians to the Colossian church. And probably he also took the letter to Philemon as well himself. Paul speaks of Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother among the Colossians or in the Colossian letter. And back to Philemon, in the Philemon letter, in verse 13, we read that Paul wishes to keep him with him so that he might minister to him in his imprisonment for the gospel. So all this, we can deduce that Onesimus in his reputation, he started to gain his reputation as a humble servant under spiritual oversight of the apostle Paul. So this, of course, is sounding all great and good so far, but let's remember that Onesimus had a pending matter here. He was still a fugitive, right? He was he had stolen, he had wronged uh, Philemon in a way, in some way that is not clear. But this, whatever this was, was very concerning for Paul. There is a broken relationship and a possible debt to be paid, so amends needed to be made. So this is the main point of the letter. It is namely a plea for reconciliation. Paul sends Onesimus back to his master with him and with him a letter recounting the amazing case of Onesimus' conversion in heartfelt plea to receive him back, not only as a bond servant, but also as a brother in Christ. We, we will see the details of this later, but before it is very important for us to understand Paul's preliminary groundwork before making his plea. It is very important. And we can see actually a lot of this in Paul's letters, how before the main theme of his epistle, he sets the groundwork. He sets a preliminary work in which we are to understand and see the depth of it so he can then introduce the main theme of the letter. So this happens from verses 4 through 7. And we see that Paul rather tactfully expresses his thanksgiving for Philemon, but also entreating him to act according to his faith. So let's go back to read that, verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, 
because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have told, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So Paul uses an important word here in verse 6 specifically. He prays that the fellowship of Philemon's faith would become effective. Now, this word here, that's koinonia, and we've heard that word, right? It's, it's a Greek word that expresses a, 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 a meaning of fellowship of, among the Christians, of mutual participation, of generosity in many cases, of sharing. And Paul prays that this faith-based, gospel-centered partnership would indeed prove effective in his life. This is the groundwork that Paul is setting up here. This is not just a Greek word to be pondered, an intellectual idea, but an act, a way of life. It is something you do. And so how convicting this is. Paul's words here are for us as well. It is not enough to know how to spell koinonia in the Greek or to grasp the mechanics of the Christian life by heart, by the mind. Acting and living in love is the very proof of God's love inside us. The rubber meets the road when we love others sacrificially and unconditionally and supernaturally. Remember 1 John 2.9 where it says, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Or chapter 4 verse 8 of 1 John, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, is paraphrasing this situation, this part of the letter like this. He says this, We summarize our exegetical decisions in this verse in a paraphrase. Philemon, I am praying that the mutual participation that arises from your faith in Christ might become effective in leading you to understand and put in practice all the good that God wills for us that is found in our community and do all this for the sake of Christ. So again, this is the preliminary work before the plea. Paul prays for and prepares Philemon to remember the koinonia produced by the gospel. And so having determined that now in verses 4-7, he then moves to the appeal itself, which is found from verses 8 through 20. And notice the first word here in verse 8, it is therefore, right? Paul is connecting what he previously said. In other words, as one commentary says, Paul's appeal to Philemon is entirely on the basis of their previous relationship and of the mutual indebtedness of membership in Christian community. So based on that koinonia of his faith, based on that fellowship that now we're called to be part of as Christians, Paul then takes that and then makes the plea for love's sake. So let's start going through verses 8 and 9. He says, therefore, like saying, therefore, after reminding you of what you should be doing as a partner in Christ, right? He says, therefore, Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you 
to do what is proper. Verse 9, yet for, God, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We see here that Paul does not use his apostolic authority to command Philemon to do what is right. As a matter of fact, when we look at the introduction of the letter, if you notice, if you start reading, Paul does not introduce himself as he would in the majority of his epistles. He does not introduce himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, as he does in most letters, but instead he addresses himself as an actual prisoner for Christ Jesus. And he mentions this in several other places. And so he wants to set the tone to Philemon, a more personal tone. So from the start, Paul is saying, my plea to you, Philemon, is not authoritarian, but instead is a heart-to-heart supplication. Paul wants Philemon to, uh, to respond and act out of his own free will instead of simply obeying a command. We see that in verse 14 where he says, But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. And all of us know what a compulsion obedience is, right? Especially when we are immature and little and kids. Many times we were asked, go wash the car or go take the trash outside. And uh, yes, after a while we obey, but grudgingly, right? We are probably speaking uh, in between our lips and uh, complaining about it. Are we obeying? Well, sort of, yeah, we are doing what we're supposed to do, but the heart is not right. And that is actually what Paul wanted, wanted to get at with his plea. This is an intentional and careful shepherding by Paul. Now, the lesson here for us, and especially for Christian leaders, is to recognize that we are to encourage one another to obey God and His Word on the basis of love instead of the basis of legalism. Remember Peter's words in Peter 5, 2, and 3. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but in eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And this is what Paul is doing here. He is not commanding. He is not saying, go ahead and do it because this is what you must do. Even though there's a place in time where we must encourage rather earnestly. But this is all under the basis of love. Remember that it is not the same to grudgingly obey than to struggle in our inner self for genuine love. And this is what, this is what Paul is targeting here, the, the free will of the transformed heart, not just an empty, pharisaic response. Now, as we move on from verses 10 through 16, we read this, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my own very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might be, 
he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but out of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So finally, we see here that the appeal is made. Paul makes known to Philemon that Onesimus is with him in that he became a Christian in that not only that, he became his spiritual son and disciple and assistant in many ways. He also points out that he became useful, as we see, to him, to Paul. The actual word useful from verse 11 is actually an intentional play in words because actually the name Onesimus means useful in the Greek. So in, in a way, he's saying the useful one has literally lived up to his name. So this is a, a pun intended moment, I guess, from orchestrated by Paul by saying he was once useless and now he is Onesimus. Now he is useful. In verses 13 and 14, Paul mentions that Onesimus was indeed useful to him while in prison. So Paul expresses his desire to keep him beside him and, and the difficulty of having Onesimus leave his side. Onesimus was probably serving him in many ways as he was in jail, not able to do much. But in verse 12, Paul expresses himself rather emotionally by admitting that he was sending then his own heart. But nevertheless, Paul acknowledges that reconciliation is most important at this point. Paul then continues the plea in verses 15 and 16 by reminding Philemon that all these things, all these things happened in God's sovereignty and providence. That's just like in Joseph's story, right? Where what was meant for evil got meant it for good. That was kind of like the same type of uh, idea or language used here. All this ordeal was meaningful. It was all necessary so that Onesimus could come to faith in Christ so that he would be reunited not as a slave but as a brother in Christ. All this is done so that reconciliation and forgiveness and love would be championed. So let's pause here again and ask what if God is doing the same in your life now? Perhaps there's something going on in your life that seems unsettling, wrong, seems incomplete. Maybe a relationship that has been severed. Maybe a situation that brings pain and suffering. But what if, as it says, perhaps, as it says in the text, God is putting all these things together in order for us to exercise the forgiveness and the love of God on others. What if this, whatever is going on in your life, filling fill in the blank, is there to show God's glory through it? Is there for your good? What if it is to remind us that our dependence is on God alone? And this is what Paul implores Philemon to ponder, the God behind the situation. So now going back to the text, we don't exactly know 
what the physical extent of Paul's plea to Philemon was in regards to accepting Onesimus back. Maybe it included pardon from jail or forgiveness for any material debt or even emancipation from slavery. But regarding the heart of Paul's plea, one commentary says this. It is difficult to know if Paul was seeking Onesimus' full emancipation and freedom. It is clear, however, that he was seeking a transformed relationship between bondservant and master, a new relationship that would defy all of the ingrained status distinctions of the surrounding Greek and Roman culture. Philemon's acceptance and forgiveness of his bondservant would go against the culture of the time. Fleeing and stealing and doing wrong to one's master was a very serious act and required legal justice for for the perpetrator. So Philemon was in his civil right to punish Onesimus. But Paul is going beyond the physical nature of the circumstances and urges for a faithful response of the Christian character. This is what, this is a call for forgiveness and resolution. And this is why Paul writes to Philemon and pleads with him. Now verses 16 and 17 moves on within the plea saying, To receive him, verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. So Paul wanted Philemon to understand that the man who stole from him and left is no more. The man who's returning to him, giving him the letter, scared to death probably, is now a beloved brother in Christ. As Ephesians 3, 6 reminds us, we can fill in the blank here and say, Onesimus is now a believer who is a Now Ephesians, a fellow heir, a member of the same body, a partaker of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul then says in verse 17, If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Now the word, interestingly here, Paul is very intentional in the usage of his words and structure in this letter. The word partner appears again. And it is the same root word as the word that we studied above, koinonia. It is koinonus. And this word, partner, which is used previously, as we saw, means partnership. So that the same way that we are brothers in Christ, the same way that we are having fellowship in Christ, the same way that you receive me, Philemon, as a brother in Christ, for fellowship, for koinonia, Receive him, co-participant in the faith, in the same way. And that's how Paul encourages Philemon to accept and to receive Onesimus. With that same koinonia, that same fellowship that he would receive Paul as a believer, as a brother in Christ. Once again, theologian Doug Moe comments on this verse by saying that Paul is saying, in effect, your relationship with Onesimus will not, will no longer be dictated by your legal relationship, master-slave, but by your spiritual relationship, brothers. 
the climax of the request now is found from verses 18 through 21, where Paul goes to the extent of even offering material reparations. So reading from there, we see verse 18 and 19. But if we, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Paul was nothing to stand in the way of Philemon's welcome of Onesimus. Just notice the intensity of Paul's desire for reconciliation that goes to the point of sacrificing his own resources, which wouldn't be many. Martin Luther says that Paul empties himself of his rights, of his rights to compel Philemon to also waive his rights. So this offer to, is, is validated in verse 19 when he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. So we assume that probably there was a scribe, maybe even Timothy, who was writing the letter down. But as Paul was dictating, at a moment in this letter, he takes the stylus himself and places his own signature in order to authenticate his promise. Now, in the second part of verse 18, Paul makes reference to the fact that Philemon was converted through Paul's ministry. So in a way, Philemon owed something far greater, namely his eternal life. So in comparison, Onesimus would be in debt, Onesimus' debt would be insignificant. And this is the plea that Paul continues to make to the point of sacrificing his own resources. Let's see this connection that is going on between Paul pleading Philemon for Onesimus, a relationship that is looking for reconciliation. And finally, the plea is concluded in verses 20 and 21, where Paul expresses his confidence in Philemon's obedience and knowing that he would do above and beyond. Paul urges Philemon to refresh his heart in Christ, just as he, did, he had been doing with the many saints in his home church. Paul then intends to visit him at some point and sends final greetings from some fellow prisoners and fellow workers of the gospel. And he ends the letter. Now, this wonderful epistle has indeed challenged us with many important Christian principles, but I would like to highlight four of them in closing, and we can probably go very in-depth with each of these principles and each of these narratives and, and uh, breaking down of this book, but as an overview, we can just see some principles that I hope we can learn from and grow in the Lord together. Number one, we are urged to be doers of the word and not only hearers. Do not simply talk the talk, but walk the walk. We've heard that before, right? So it is even truer of us believers. Paul, Paul's careful entreaty to Philemon to do what is right and loving is rooted in the knowledge of every good thing which is in us for Christ's sake, just as Paul told Philemon. Our doing should be a natural response to what we already possess in Christ. Ephesians 5, 5, 2 reminds us of that when it, when it says, And walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What the gospel has produced already in us—reconciliation, forgiveness, love—let us then walk according to that. Let us remember the precious gospel. Sinners, forgiven by grace, not of our own works, but. On the basis of the works of someone else, of Christ, who was perfect, who lived and died and suffered and rose again to authenticate His sacrifice and His deeds, and He did that for us, and we trust in His work, not on our works. And He pardons us, and God pardons us, and reconciles and reconciles us to Him. And we can see the love, the forgiveness. The reconciliation that happens in the gospel story. So this should be an inspiration for us to walk in the same way. Also, Ephesians four one and three says, "Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patient, with patience." Showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond in the bond of peace. So let us ask ourselves today: What areas have I been neglecting in obedience to God and His Word? Where is my testimony failing to show Christ? Where am I being stagnant? How am I proclaiming to be one thing but not sacrificing in love? Let us ask these things. Let the Lord reveal these things to us. It is difficult, indeed, to do a self-examination, as it might expose many areas of shortcoming. But Christ already paid for it all. Let's remember that. How should we then not walk and strive to be like Him? Because we are His. We are pardoned. So let us walk then to be like Him. Number two, we are urged to be agents of reconciliation among the brethren. As we look at Paul's role in this letter, seeking the reconciliation among the brethren was an urgent matter, even to the point of sacrificing one's safety and resources. So Paul was pleading with his own heart. He was pastorally encouraging. He was passionately supplicating. He was earnestly praying. He was offering his own resources and putting himself on the middle, in the very middle of it all. Let this attitude be an inspiration for us, knowing that the cross of Christ is the very foundation for seeking reconciliation. Kent Hughes says this: "The cross is the ultimate evidence that there is no length." The love of God will refuse to go in, effecting reconciliation. How many of us go out of our way to encourage broken relationships or difficult situations going on in the family of God? Is it uncomfortable? Well, it is. Is it is it sneaking in other people's business? Some say yes, but the condition of our brother's souls and spiritual walk should be our business. Galatians 6:2 says, "Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ." And also, 1 Thessalonians 5:14-15 encourages us in the same way, as it says, "And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, walk, warn those who are idle, 
com comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repairs evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So we are encouraged to plead like Paul, to supplicate with someone who is not willing to seek reconciliation with his brother. We are to pray for them. We are to take them to God's word. We are to admonish them in love. Let's don't care about being potentially offended or neglected. We are to care more about, we are to care about obedience, but above all, love for the brethren. Number three, we are urged to forgive just as we have been forgiven. From Philemon's perspective, he was now urged to receive Onesimus as his own brother and to reconcile with him by forgiving him sacrificially. Now this is hard. This is a hard position to be in. Sometimes we are hurt greatly. Many times we sweep the issue and disregard it, but sometimes, but forgetting is not necessarily forgiving. So don't leave matters unresolved in your relationship. Seeking reconciliation is the very outward basis of our forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So may God help us to always be willing and ready to forgive. And finally, number four, we are urged to regard our fellow Christians as equals, brothers and sisters in Christ. Going back to Doe Moose quote, as we said above or before, we, are, we ask ourselves, what is dictating the way that we treat our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters? What is keeping us from serving them? Is it social status? Is it race? Is it preconceived notions? Is it lack of compatibility? not sharing common interests? Are we accepting one another on the basis of the cross and their dignity as God's image bearers? Just as a, a famous quote says that Billy Graham refers to many times, he says, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And for that, we continue to reflect on Galatians 3, 26 to 28, that says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. Nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word and we have heard the plea for reconciliation. We have heard the intensity, the importance, the seriousness of being reconciled with one another for the sake of koinonia, for fellowship, because we are brought to you, Lord, as brothers and sisters, because you have brought us to you, because you adopted us, Lord God. And now, as a community of faith, Lord God, we are to strive for love, brotherly love. 
So help us do so, God. Help us see the beauty and the difficulty of attaining this, where many conversations may happen that we may not like at first due to our own sin and pride, but help us, Lord, to do it all in the name of love, in the name of sacrificing for one another, in the name of reflecting the precious gospel of the Lord Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord God, understand the seriousness of forgiveness and search our hearts for anything, any grudge, anything that is not right with a brother and let us go to them and restore relationships. We thank you, Lord, for what we have been reminded that because we are yours, that because we have koinonia with other brethren, because of that, we are to strive to restore broken relationships. We thank you for the book of Philemon, Lord God, and may we study it even more, Lord God, with this overview, short overview that we've heard today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.